Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we talked to Jason Brown, strength coach and owner of Box Programming, a company that's helping program for over 300 CrossFit affiliate gyms in over 15 different countries. Not exaggerating here. He's literally taking the CrossFit training world by storm and doing it in his own way, which is really what we're going to dive into today. We're going to dive into his programming methods, which actually ring very true to how I program. We both are big fans of the West Side Conjugate Method, and we are both big fans of manipulating that for the general population. We vary in two different ways where he is doing this for CrossFit gyms, and I am doing this for many different people, um, people who are chasing strength, people who are just trace, chasing the idea of feeling better and looking better, people who are very serious about aesthetics or bodybuilding. I believe that the conjugate method provides a way of systemized variety and progression that really makes sense. And it allows us to not get beat up because it utilizes smart training, especially in the regards of how much variety is within the accessory movements. But we're going to talk about that in more detail today, because what Jason does specifically is he combines the West Side Conjugate Method with CrossFit, which allows people to see more of the results they want aesthetically and regarding strength without getting burnt out or beaten up, which is a big problem in the CrossFit space. Not because there aren't intelligent CrossFitters or CrossFit coaches, but because a lot of people turn all cylinders on every day of the week and they do end up burning out their nervous system and they cannot recover. They push their adrenals past a point of recovery and they don't get any results because they are literally going so hard every single time they step into the gym. And that's what happens when you just randomly do wads rather than having a systemized approach of how you should be strength training. And Jason does a really, really good job at that. So we're going to dive into that today. He's also a big contributor for Elite FTS, T Nation, Dr. John Rustin's website, Thib Army, and many more. The guy knows his shit. He has a great system and approach to how he is programming for CrossFit, and it is working fantastically well, which is why over 300 CrossFit affiliate gyms hire him to help them with his programming. So today we're going to talk on all things conjugate, CrossFit, strength training, and how to really transform your body. But I mean that in a way of changing the way you look, changing the way you perform, and changing the way you feel so you don't get injured. And we talk about this multiple times. You actually have fun. Because if there's one thing that Jason and I agree on, it's that you need real live experience working with people in person to truly understand how application of the science works. So before I rant on any longer, I really, really enjoyed this podcast. Jason and I see eye to eye with many things. We'll probably end up doing another podcast together. And you can check him out at boxprogramming.com or on Instagram at box underscore programming. The last thing I will say is, guys, make sure that if you are enjoying this podcast, do me two huge favors. First, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review. And second, take a screenshot of this episode, post on your Instagram story, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Jason at box underscore programming so we can thank you for listening to the show and we can share it on our story as well. 
Without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with myself and Jason. All right, Jason, um, I'm pumped to have you on, man. This is a, a new relationship. I haven't known you for very long, but John Russin introduced us, and I always trust his judgment. And I'm glad I did, man. I, I always do some vetting before the podcast, and I dug through a lot of your content. And I got to be honest, I absolutely love what I see, and, I, and I'm even more excited for the fact of what you're bringing into the CrossFit space because I think it really, really needs to be there. And I will, I got to say this too, from a business perspective. Fox programming is such a good, smart, like just coin term for you because mm -hmm. it's it's actually outside of the box if you think about it from, sure, from CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> but box programming is it, it just sounds like a go-to source to get uh, affiliates program designed for their gyms. And the fact mm -hmm. that you're doing it this way makes me super happy. So before I go on a rant about what you're doing, why don't you tell us um, a little bit about your background and your story of just how you got here, and then I'm going to kind of pick that apart and we'll just take it from there. Cool. Yeah, well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've been following you for a while and, and you put out some great content and it's funny. I think like how John and John Rustin and I connected really through Facebook. I mean, it's it's kind of funny when you think of just how our society is these days, just connecting with random people on social media. Um, you know, I was following you and you were doing like live feeds on Facebook, I don't know, maybe, maybe two years ago. And I remember listening to one and being like, this guy is really good on camera. This is pretty awesome that he can just has the confidence <laughs> just to do a live feed and say like, Hey, I'm just going to start talking about nutrition and we're just going to crush it. And I thought that was really cool to see that, that someone just to have the confidence to turn that live feed on and say like, Hey, we're just going to go with it and see what happens. Um, Dude, thank so, you. So yeah, it's so pretty cool. That's humbling to know that you were watching those, man. <laughs> thank you. That's uh, that's really, that's actually how this podcast got started to be honest with you somebody on one of those feeds a few years ago was like, you should just make this podcast. And I was like, yeah, good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I mean, it's, I think a lot of people, you know, see this, they probably see your podcast and they think that it's no big deal. And you know, anyone can do it. But you know, it's not anyone that can do it. It's hard to get good at being good on camera and being able to really, I think, kind of rein your thoughts in because I know, like, for us as strength coaches, we have so many ideas and so many thoughts on a consistent basis that sometimes it's like paralysis by analysis. We're like looking at so many different facets of, of what we're trying to do. Um, and you know, sometimes it's hard to get those ideas kind of into a pool where we can deliver that message that we're looking for. So you've obviously figured out how to do that. And uh, I think it's awesome. Cause I'm, you know, still, I think I'll always be figuring that end of it out, which is, um, you know, funny in and of itself. <laughs> well, thank you, man. I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, to get, to give you kind of some brief background, I started off in the strength and conditioning world and, and, um, actually at an early age, my mother was a power lifter. So I'd been going to the gym with her, you know, right. As soon as I could walk basically. And, uh, I was always around people that were strong and that were lifting weights and doing squats, deadlifts and, and the like. So from an early age, I was really enamored by that scene and, you know, Arnold and, and just seeing these guys that were, were jacked and lifting huge amounts of weight. I thought it was super cool. So I started lifting weights very early. It's funny. We used to go on vacation, um, you know, like every kid does like for like two weeks in July. And I had an easy bar with some rusty weights. I think that I got from, from the dump. And, uh, I brought that used to bring that with me and do, you know, the three or four exercises I knew back then. So it's always been something I've been very interested in and, um, just playing sports. I got introduced to a few different strength and conditioning coaches and 
kind of just took off from there where I actually got thrown into training a group of like middle-aged men when I was 18. And my coach was like, Hey, I, I got to run down the street. I just want you to take these guys through their program. They have questions, answer them. And I'm like, shit, man. I'm like, I don't know if I know the answers to the questions. Like I'm, you know, I've been doing this a while, but I'm not a professional. So needless to say, I, I train these guys and I will use the word train loosely. Um, and they asked me questions and I knew the answers. So for me, I was like, wow, I actually, I do know something about this stuff. And, you know, fast forward to, I would say, right after college, I got involved with CrossFit and I was joining the military. So it was like, kind of made sense to, to try out a different form of training coming from the strength and conditioning world where we, you know, separated our strength, our conditioning pieces, and we didn't do high rep Olympic lifting and all the things that CrossFit was doing at the time. So that kind of, I guess, piqued my interest. And really not far after that, I realized that there was a viable model here, but there was a lot of limitations to it. And uh, being someone that's been involved with the conjugate system since 2004, it, to me, made sense to try to blend the two, you know, and I always remember Charles Poliquin saying, it's like, trying to combine multiple programs is like trying to ride a horse with two asses, like it just doesn't work. Well, you know what, maybe it didn't then, but I'm telling you right now, you can do both concurrently where you're working on all aspects of fitness and do it very well. I mean, Westside Barbell has been doing it very well for, you know, more than a decade. Um, so that's kind of how that started, where I had that marriage between conjugate in CrossFit. And it was almost like, you know, the Bruce Lee approach, like we're going to take what's most useful and apply it. But the things that aren't useful, we're going to get rid of those and just replace them with something that's more beneficial for more people's needs. Um, and, and that's kind of how we started when we opened our gym, we had that model and it just evolved over time where people were interested in what we were doing for programming. And I started doing programming for like two gyms and it was really just like a hobby. It was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I enjoy writing programming. I'm getting paid a couple extra bucks. Awesome. And then from there, I started a website. And then within a year's time, I had 100 clients. And they were all on an individual Google Sheet, as fucking crazy as that sounds. <laughs> I had 100 Google Sheets going with everyone had their own programming. And I'm like, this is, this is, uh, this is getting crazy. I can't run a gym and write programming for 100 gyms. So I end up selling my gym and devoting all of my time and developing a platform and a, you know, a more scalable way to deliver what we're doing. And uh, that's kind of where we're at now. We're five years into programming for other gyms all over the globe. And you know, we use the conjugate method to deliver CrossFit. It's really kind of cool how it plays out because CrossFit's actually has a lot of similarities between conjugate. They're both constantly varied. They're both a concurrent model of training. Um, but there are some things that we really take advantage of using the conjugate model that just resonates with the general population. They, they need to do more aerobic work. They need to do more single joint work. Um, and we still sprinkle in the sexy stuff, the Olympic lifts from time to time, the you know CrossFit, classic CrossFit workouts. So it works out very well in the sense that People are constantly getting better. We're building their base of fitness, and then we're exposing them to the high skill stuff once they've built that base of fitness throughout, you know, doing the stuff for three or four months. I love that, dude. I think that I think a lot of people just get stuck in kind of a dogmatic approach or just a one size fits all. And Westside Barbell is a good example of somebody who 
I say somebody as Louie, but as a place that kind of introduced this varied method. And a lot of people, obviously, I, you know, I'm pretty young, so I wasn't, I didn't experience strength training at the same time Louis was creating mm-hmm. this stuff. But I mean, I've read a lot of his work. I studied a lot of his stuff. Um, I know some of the people that went there personally, and they were kind of outliers in the way that they did things. Sure. But it caught on and it kind of carried on and more and more. And then inside of powerlifting and bodybuilding, DUP, daily undulated periodization, came about not too mm-hmm. long ago. And that kind of, it's not complete concurrent. I think a lot of people think of concurrent, like, okay, one day I'm going to go on a marathon and one day I'm going to mm-hmm. powerlift. But like at the same time, it is concurrent because you were targeting different intensities throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And that worked really well for a lot of people. I've used uh, a conjugate style method. Once Joe DeFranco came out with uh, yeah. Westside for Skinny Bastards, like a light bulb went off my head for my general pop clients. And I was like, oh, the dynamic or the speed effort method can just be repetition effort or sure. hypertrophy effort, right? And now we can, it's in a way uh, concurrent, in a way daily undulated periodization, but that changed how I programmed everything. Um, so I love the fact that you're blending it into CrossFit. And I think one of the things with CrossFit that's funny is when it first came out, and I'd love to get your take on this. I was so true to like strength training and stubborn with it that I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. They're literally just throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. Yet people started getting stronger. People started getting more muscular and it mm-hmm. like defied what made sense by science. And it just goes to show like you can't prove everything in a study or you can't prove everything with textbooks based on Olympic lifters for years and years and years in the mm-hmm. Russian system. Right. Um, and that was always something really interesting to me because these people are changing things so frequently. So progressive overload is damn near impossible to program yet they're crushing it. So like, did you have that same thought process when it first came about? So for me, the motivation to do CrossFit was purely based on going into the military and CrossFit really preached the unknown and unknowable factor. Instead of having a plan, you don't know what's going to come up in in the military. Obviously, very things are very unpredictable. However, and I didn't know this then, I mean, this is, you know, from years of study and, and, you know, going through my master's and understanding how the body responds to stress, there were a lot of things in terms of the basic physiology that were thrown out. That that Greg Glassman that started CrossFit, he's not an exercise physiologist, he was a gymnast. So I don't think he understood how to align the body with the stress cycle. And that's something that conjugate does very well. You know, For those of you that are listening that have heard of general adaptation syndrome, if you're a strength coach, you should know what that is. It's the cycle of stress and what we go through when we engage in hard training. So conjugate does it very well in terms of aligning with the stress cycle. So when you do that, great things happen. We can use super compensation. We can continuously get better because we're building in recovery within a week of training. Um, Whereas CrossFit would do high intensity every day and high intensity every day will work, but guess what? It's not going to work forever. And you will more than likely burn your clients out if you subscribe to the go harder approach. The body is not designed to just give you results every time you push it harder. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, one of the kind of the light bulb moments for me was I started getting, um, I started getting into Joel Jameson's work. And I know you're um, Seattle. I'm sure you probably know Joel. Oh, yeah. I got into his, one of my, um, a local coach, a guy that was very well known for his ability to um, get CrossFitters in shape in terms of their level of conditioning. I started talking to him and he said, man, you got to read MMA conditioning. So I read MMA conditioning and I remember thinking, holy shit, this is, this is like changing my complete view on the aerobic system. 
Um, and, and really for me, that was like an area of low hanging fruit. We really weren't taking advantage of the gains we can make with our training by improving the aerobic system. So once we started doing that, that's when I realized that conjugate actually has a huge emphasis on the aerobic system. Who would have thought that these big, huge power lifters that are deadlifting 860 pounds are training the aerobic system. And that's really a key component to work capacity is having a good base of aerobic fitness. Um, so that is really kind of the thing that, um, and I think we're, I think I'm probably way off topic now, but um, what I'm kind of getting at is that initially, you know, there were, there were some things that drew me to CrossFit, but there were more things that drew me to the other things like camaraderie and just the community aspect of it that you get from being in a group setting. Um, but you know, we really, we needed to figure out where the limitations were with it and doing high intensity every day. That is not a recipe for success for, for longevity. Um, fantastic book, by the way, MMA mm. conditioning is a lot of strength coaches listening or trainers listening. It applies to more than just MMA. I don't train sure. MMA fighters, but it's, it's a very, very good book. Um, so I, I kind of want to dive into a few things based off what you just said. I, I I'm realizing now that we should probably take a step back and kind of describe what the conjugate method is. And you do sure. a really good job at this. So I'd love for us to do that. But before we do, can you just touch on briefly why aerobic training is actually important for non-athletes? So for general population, people looking to change body composition or just get stronger. And I think a lot of people see bodybuilders and say, oh, no, cardio is just going to eat away muscle. And then you see jack crossfitters and it kind of Sure. That. But I think there's more applicable in the, in the performance side, there's more application than people are aware of that allow you to do what these people do. So can you break down why that's so important? Absolutely. Yeah. So the aerobic system is our long duration system. It's lowest energy, but uh, lowest fatigability. So we can, you know, basically anything we're, we're talking right now that we're, we're aerobic. Um, and really the number one thing that the aerobic having an effective aerobic system does is allows us to live longer. There's no other form of training that can make that claim. There's nothing. There's been actual studies. There's peer reviewed research that correlates uh, aerobic fitness with how long people live. So if that's not a reason to do aerobic work, then I don't know what the hell is. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the argument that we take with our clients. Now, from a performance standpoint, it allows us the ability to improve recovery. Okay, when we lower our resting heart rate, we're able to recover better, we get more from our sleep, our heart rate variability is, is in better places. So from that side of it, it's great. But it also has a connection with anaerobic, the anaerobic systems, which anaerobic systems are very limited by genetics. So you either it's kind of like you either have it or you don't, you're either explosive or you're slow. So we can improve the ability to replenish ATP by having a better aerobic system because fast switch fibers have aerobic ability. So if we're looking at the actual physiology of it, there, there's a lot more to it than just saying, well, I'm going to live longer, which is great. I mean, everyone wants to live longer. But from a performance standpoint, things that people can identify, why are CrossFitters able to do a max snatch in the same event that they just did a 5K run? Because they have effective aerobic systems where they can replenish ATP for explosive movements faster than you and I could. So they're able to still do those movements proficiently and do them at a high level because their primary fuel source, which for an explosive movement like that, we're going to rely heavily on ATP to, to, um, to power those events, phosphocreatine, obviously in there. So there's, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, improving life, improving recovery. 
um, we can improve performance too. Now, the the you know the mindset was always, well, it's going to make me slower. It's going to make me uh, gain more adipose tissue, and it could. Yeah, if you do, if you're running five, six, seven miles a day, then that's the cycle you're setting yourself up for. Of course, you're going to make your fast twitch fibers more slow twitch, and you're going to gain more adipose tissue just out of you know the body has to adapt to that event and and you know those events rely on fats as the fuel source so naturally you're going to gain more adipose tissue now if you can put that work in strategically like we use this work strategically on a weekly basis it will not rob you of your gains i do low intensity cardio for 30 minutes every single week i use it as a recovery day and it's very easy it's 130 to 150 beats per minute it's improving cardiac output, which improves the ability to pump blood to the extremities. And I'm trying to make this as simple. This stuff is like super complex. Exercise metabolism is super complex. So I, every time I, I get on these podcasts, I'm like, I don't want to start spitting out too much science and make people be like, what the fuck is he talking about? Um, so it's, it's tough to, to understand it um, from the physiology side. But if you think about it in terms of just, it's going to improve all aspects of your performance in life. I like that. I think it, you got to do it. Yeah. And, and don't, and feel free to go into the science dude. We have plenty of geeks that listen to this podcast. And I say that proudly. Um, but I, I think like the easiest way for like, from taking what you just said to kind of like boil it down for people, not only is it going to increase lifespan and help prevent disease, so on and so forth, it's going yep. to improve your ability to recover faster. And I think people need to gravitate towards that because if I can recover faster between days, sessions, sets even reps sure. i'm going to be able to perform more volume that's going to lead to more muscle growth more strength so on and so forth and then the last piece of that is like literal <laughs> transition to you can actually just perform harder so people i think people completely an, alienate anaerobic and aerobic and i think that's yeah. their problem like like you said the body works as one everything mm -hmm. is working together so you have to pay attention to it all that's a key point there's all three energy systems work at all times you know so they used to think that for the first 10 seconds of exercise, it was only phosphagen system, ATP, PC. But they realized that actually one second into all exercise, and there was an actual study on this, it's called serial mobilization, if you want to look it up. The one second into any exercise, lactate is being produced. So you hear a lot of people call that the alactic system. That's actually a misnomer. There's no such thing as alactic. It's lactate is produced one second into all exercise. So calling it a lactic, it, you know, you, you certainly could. And I know Joel still does, it's in his book. Um, but in reality, the studies have turned that on its head and there is lactate produced within one second of any exercise. So you're getting contribution from all three systems at all times. I love that dude. Yeah. Um, that's a perfect explanation. So let, let's kind of take a step back still, even though we've been diving into this so mm -hmm. much, let's break down the conjugate system and then we can start sure. kind of explaining how you implement this into your programming. So a classic conjugate model is a concurrent form of training, but it's different than the form, concurrent form of training that you've read in a textbook. They've done studies on concurrent fitness or concur concurrent models, and the, the studies were very polarizing. They would do a max deadlift on Monday, a very long hard endurance event on Tuesday, you know, maybe some Tabata intervals on Wednesday. So they didn't really structure it correctly to reap the benefits. Now, what Louis has done is he's realized that these extreme workouts, max effort and dynamic effort, take longer to recover from. 
So we put 72 hours in between those sessions. So usually you'll see max effort lower is done on Monday. And then we do for us, how we do it in a group setting, we do dynamic effort lower on Thursday. So we have 72 hours of recovery. West side, they'll do it Monday and Friday. And then max effort upper will be uh, Wednesday and Saturday. So you have a nice bit of recovery and that allows you to do your smaller workouts in between your sled work, your, your more of your base building, that GPP work that we, that we love to talk about. So, you know, we have essentially four main training sessions two max effort two dynamic effort. Now really the crux of the system is building limitations. So there's something called with conjugate, the 80, 20 rule, 80% of the system is special exercises. Special exercises are exercises that are strategically used to build limitations. So your single joint exercises, your extra triceps work, your, uh, you know, your upper back work, build, building the latissimus, those types of exercises are built in to those days where we pile on the volume with the special exercises. And the volume for our classic lifts, our squats, our pulls, our presses, are lower. It's only 20% of the total volume. So that's our 80-20, 80% special, 20% classic. And that's something I think gets taken out of context. People don't realize that a lot of people say conjugate's not high volume. It's not enough volume. And the volume is done with the special exercises. So we hammer those exercises. Our dynamic effort volume is actually only moderate volume. It's moderate intensity. Our max effort is actually super low volume but the highest intensity, we're going to a singular max effort on a given day. Now, that's really kind of it in a nutshell, but the, the bigger pieces, again, are those special exercises, building the base, a lot of sled drags, a lot of loaded carries, a lot of high volume band work, which band work builds uh, thickness of tendons. It also increases stored kinetic energy. So there's a lot of other things that are, I would say, you know, smaller, but they're equally as important as your box squats, your, you know, your floor presses, your sumo deadlifts, your rack pulls. Those things are actually make up a very small percentage of the system. Another thing is that the variations are rotated for max effort on a weekly basis. Um, and you know, just a, a small um, caveat, I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you how we do it for our clients because it's not exactly the same. There are some things that we utilize that Westside doesn't, um, but there are some unique opportunities we have in a group setting with just general population folks that might need a little bit more exposure than every 12 weeks. Uh, so while, you know, we can get into that in a second, but just to show you kind of how the conjugate model works, um, max effort exercises are rotated weekly. Dynamic effort is done in three-week pendulum waves. So it'll be 50, 55, 60% of 1RM with some form of accommodating resistance, either, you know, usually about 25% band tension or 25% of that max in uh, chain. Um, and that's really kind of it in a, a nutshell. There's a lot of other little nuances to it, but I think, you know, that would probably give you, give the listener at least a, a good idea of how that system works. A lot of people have trouble implementing because there, there is a lot to implement. There's a lot of variability. There's there's a lot of confusion with, with how to do different elements like the dynamic effort method. I never see anyone do dynamic effort method right um, just because people go too heavy and, and you know, you got to take into account other things like individual uh, muscle fiber type. So someone for someone that's explosive, 50% plus 25% accommodating resistance, 
they'll be explosive with. But I have seen a lot of very slow type one athletes that cannot move fast with 40%. So if you're not moving fast, you're not really reaping the benefits of, of what it's intended to do. And that's to improve rate of force development. Um, so yeah, please stop me if, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going, uh, too overboard with it. I Perfect, think that's dude. kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, I was just kind of writing down different things that I, I think would be good and helpful for people to kind of understand. So um, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, this 80-20 split, kind of diving into that because I think there's a lot of people who think build strength, uh, compound lifts, just squat, bench, deadlift, squat, bench, mm-hmm. deadlift, squat. It's just like, and I think part of the reason is a big piece of strength is neurological. So there's a skill. So you, it, it, the analogy I always hear is like, do you think a pitcher practices throwing a ball once a week? No, they do it all. It's like, okay, I get right. that. I understand that. Um, but for general population, for people who care about performance, strength, muscle growth, things like that, but aren't necessarily stepping on a platform, to me, it makes even more sense from an injury risk perspective. And getting more volume in all these little pieces that are being missed on the compound, mm-hmm. is that why you think it applies so well to gen pop? So I, I think the probably the biggest tenant of it for general population is building that base, building the base of the pyramid, which is their GPP. And we do that with, you know, our special exercises, which are a form of general strength work. We also do it with a sled. Um, we do it with loaded carries. So there's other things in there that kind of, we kill two birds with one stone. We do sled work. We get a strength component from it. We also get the aerobic function component of it. Same thing with a loaded carry. So these are nice things that anyone can do. They're not limited by, they don't have to be an ex-college athlete to pull a sled. They don't have to be, you know, a master Olympic lifter to do a farmer carry. So those things apply to more people. And that's why we prioritize the things that more people can do. Rather than saying, hey, we're going to focus on the snatch. You know, (laughs) who's reaping the benefits of that? One person out of 50, I mean, I, it's probably even less than that because there are certain things that you're trying to achieve by, if you're programming a snatch as your main strength emphasis, your main strength KPI, there's many people that aren't going to really get a whole lot from that. They might get some technique and CrossFit will argue that it's a functional movement. I don't know about you, but I don't snatch in everyday life. <laughs> That's just not happening. I, I've I've heard that argument and it always blows my mind, but there's no snatch happening and a full snatch happening when I'm like, you know, playing with my kids or, or whatever. So um, I think there are other ways that we can go about that. Even if we did want to build that movement pattern that are safer and more uh, prudent. Yeah. And even if you want to just achieve the simple explosiveness, do a dumbbell snatch, do a dumbbell snatch, do, you know, we can do plyometrics, which are a better way to improve explosive strength. So um, so, so that's really an important part of the conjugate method for group. Now we do a lot of, a lot of emphasis on the posterior chain, you know, training the upper back, a lot of direct glute work. We do a lot of wide stance box squats. Uh, the box squat is a huge high value movement for us. Um, it teaches people how to squat. It also allows us to really turn the squat into a posterior dominant movement. Whereas if we just do a high bar back squat, a lot of people rely more on the anterior chain because they're just more anteriorly chain driven they've done endurance sports they're really strong in the quadriceps but they have nothing going on on the backside um and this is you know another reason why people have lower back issues so we spend a lot of time building up where people are characteristically weak and we know just from our postures sitting daily on our iphones that people need a lot of emphasis on the backside 
So that's one thing that we, we really prioritize and, and conjugate is, I mean, I don't think there's a better system for that in terms of, of getting some real tangible results on a really short timeline. So one of the biggest, um, I don't know if it's a debate or argument, but one of the biggest things that stands out to me that kind of goes against the grain with conjugate is the max effort lift changing every single week. Um, especially because powerlifters will talk about the skill of a movement so much. Bodybuilders sure. will talk about uh, basically achieving progressive overload from a muscular standpoint. Like it's, it's repetition of the same pattern over and over again, trying to get better at it, mm-hmm. which I understand. But in our, a good argument, my, my college uh, teacher used to always say like muscles are stupid. They just know tension and resistance. So sure. like don't major in the minor kind of thing, um, yeah. which I think is true to an extent. But I'm just curious of why. Why vary the max effort and not the dynamic effort? Well, so I've done it both ways. I've, I've um, in college when we use the conjugate method, and and even at Westside, I know back in that time period around 2004, they were doing di- they were doing max effort lists more than one week at a time. We were doing it for three weeks. Um, so I had great results with that. But I can also see you know, the value of rotating it more frequently. So for West side and what they do with conjugate, they rotate it on a, on a, on a weekly basis. So they don't run into any issues in terms of overuse injury. They do it because it allows them to see what variations translate to their classic lifts. Um, And it also allows them to really focus on their individual limitations. Now, not all variations are created the same. Someone might need to do uh, you know, a pin press from six inches above their chest, whereas someone else might need to do it from three inches off their chest because they're a lot, they're, you know, they're, they're sticking points. They call it mini maxes at Westside uh, are different. So it allows us to really focus on where those limitations are by rotating our, you know, max effort lifts on a weekly basis. Now, three week for dynamic effort, because Louis found after three weeks, he neither made gains or, he started to actually go backwards. So they found that three weeks was kind of the optimal amount of time in terms of rotating the variations for that, where the intent is very different for dynamic effort. So, you know, doing it more than one week at a time where we can reinforce good movement patterns, um, it allows us to do that. And I think that's one of the things, you know, we assume that everyone at Westside's got perfect movement patterns, but they're still reaping some benefits in terms of just, you know, motor control and, and improving those motor patterns. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how they do it. Now, do we do it the same way? I've tried it that way with general population, but I, I, there's limitations to, there's limitations to everything, but there's definitely limitations when if you only do a max effort variation one time, and then they don't see it again for 12 weeks, that can be detrimental to some people because they simply haven't built motor patterns yet. So we actually use the submaximal effort method, which is, you know, going to a heavy three to six with a multi-joint movement more than we use max effort at this point. Um, and I've experimented, we did almost exclusively rotating our max effort variations. This is even with a general population every week for at least a few years and people got great results, but did they get great results because we rotated them every week or did they get great results? Cause we did tons of special exercises to build where they're weakest. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's a moot point. I, I don't really know the answer, but I, what I do know is that I see a lot of value from what I've learned in my own training using the submaximal effort method and 
having a little bit less variation. We rotate those variations every two weeks. So we'll do the same variation for two weeks in a row instead of rotating it every week. I like that. I really like that you said submaximal effort too, because I talk about that a lot. And there's actually been some cool research that's come out to show the same exact performance and strength gains coming from a submaximal versus a maximal. And I think we can easily state that the recovery demands are just completely different in the central fatigue. So it makes a lot more sense to do that. Um, yeah. With the accessory work, how do you, like, I, I think there's an obvious programming tip here of like, everybody needs different accessory because everybody has different imbalances or weaknesses or even for vanity purposes different people want to grow different muscles so on and so forth um so my question with that would be a how do we decide what to program inside of that and then b what's the rotation or the variation within that how often so i could answer that probably two ways for what we do in a group setting we have experimented with both rotating it weekly rotating it bi-weekly and I will say like, you know, to preface this group programming is incredibly different than individual. Now, if I was programming for you, Cody, and it was like, Hey, this is what we're doing for the next 12 weeks. It would look very different than that because I know that you're going to a do the workouts. I know when you're doing the workouts, I know um, how you're responding to the training based off of the results and the, the data points that we're collecting. So there is a lot of things that I can control in a group programming. I can't control I can control what I give them, but I don't know when people are going to show up. I don't know if they're going to go on vacation for two weeks. I don't know what they move like. So that's what makes it, from my standpoint, I'm, I want to try to control as much as I can. So how I control it is, if I only have a variation only in there one time, they might not see that again for another 12 weeks. So how do we know if it worked or if it didn't work? We don't. So I like to have it in there at least on a bi-weekly basis. And again, for both for our multi-joint movements as well as our single joint. That way people are exposed to it. Because people know, people are smart enough to know what's going to resonate with them and what is not. Like, hey, this variation hurts my elbow. I, I don't like doing a rollback triceps extension because it puts me into this really kind of weird position and yada, yada, yada. It doesn't feel good. So that might not be the right variation for them based off of other things that they have going on. But if they only if they only see these things every so often, then too much variation, I think, is is a bad thing, too. So I think what we've tried to do over the last couple of years is kind of like take that list of variations and narrow it down to like the most beneficial. What have we seen the best results with? Instead of having like, you know, at one point we were, we were using, you know, a couple hundred variations. And now we're using probably 75 to 100, which is still a lot. Um, but it's allowed us to really dial in and, and say like, hey, this this is something we're not going to use again. I don't see any value to this, but this is something that uh, I've seen, you know, pretty positive results with across a large scale of our clients. I love that. I think one thing that comes up with me is, is there's not a lot of research to prove this, but I think novelty and just changing is good from a couple standpoints. Number one, I think a lot of people forget about fun. Like I see a lot of people talking about volume and intensity in this, this the pyramid of importance and what matters and everything that looks great on paper. And I understand that, but mm. if you've ever worked with people in person, it's a completely different ball game. And you totally. have, like if they're not fun or like you said, like, I don't even know if they're actually following the program. Right. So like right. Part of it is like, let me make sure this is actually fucking fun. So mm. I know that they will do it and stick with it and they'll be honest and open with me. Um, but I also think there is an advantage, the novelty thing with, 
not you can't bypass the need for proper amounts of volume but i see everybody's talking so much about volume and i believe there is a novelty stimulus that happens when you have some variation that allows you to get away with some of the stuff you can push the intensity a little bit higher you can do a little bit more effort because you're having more fun it's a change you are going to experience some more muscle damage mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you can't have volume there but to me it means that we don't have to accumulate so much volume over time. And there's people that will stick with the same thing for so long, just trying to accumulate volume mm -hmm. just to lead to ungodly amounts of volume. Um, more of a right. statement question, but I would love to get your thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, that's why initially CrossFit was very successful because there is a huge level of novelty. There's different workouts all the time, a different way to challenge yourself. But in the same token, you know, you get to a point where random workouts are random, you know, yields random results. So instead, if we can kind of have a little bit more systematic of approach, mm -hmm. we can control the results a lot better. Because at the end of the day, in group programming, we have to rely on the people that are most committed, the people that are showing up four, five, six days a week. We have to write the programming around them. We can't write the programming around the two time a week people because they're not the people that are buying in, that are getting the best results, that are going to tell their friends. We have to build it around the most committed. So I do believe that um, having the variability is huge. And a lot of the experiences, a lot of the, the things that I put into my own programming are from my own personal experience. And I've gone all over the map with variability. Like literally, I wouldn't do the same workout for, you know, I would almost like never do the same workout. It would always be different. And I see value now in doing the same workout for two weeks. And I'm very type A. I like novelty and I need to vary it. I lose interest quick. If you saw my garage gym, you'd think I'm crazy. I have 25 specialty bars. Um, <laughs> so I love novelty, but I do need to see what is going to correlate. What am I getting the best results with? What went well? What did? And like you said, sometimes things on paper look great. And then you go do them. You're like, holy shit, this is terrible. I'm not going to make any of my clients do this because it didn't go well for me. Um, so so I, I do think that novelty is great but you do need to have some time with the same movements and for for me and what i've seen you know from my own training and as well as my clients two weeks is kind of the magic number after two weeks people are like i feel great they got good workouts but after two weeks they're usually ready for some new workouts and some new change to to really keep that motivation up yeah i would agree with you and i'm the exact same kind of personality type so um i I have had so many conversations with Christian Thibodeau about um, personality types, stuff like that. And mm. I haven't done the tests or anything like that. But one of the big things that I took away from it is just how different people are. Sure. Um, so I agree with everything you're saying. The only caveat I would say is I have some people that are so opposite of type A that right. they almost get anxiety if we switch it up more than like a month at a time, you know, so for four weeks, they got to kind of like, it's like a week of seeing the program week of getting used to it week of progressing mm -hmm. then we can kind of deload and then it's like a new program and they have to restart that whereas some people like you said by the end of week two they're like what's next what's different and i think and i don't know if you do this but one thing i try to teach clients or teach people that listen to podcasts stuff like that is is to think of movements not just exercises because for those people who may actually be the type that need more variation however i know they need longer durations of time to progress Mm -hmm. We can change up loading patterns, posture, um, simple variations. But as long as I understand quad dominant or like knee flexion unilateral, right? Yeah. Hip hinge, horizontal press, unilateral angled press, like yeah. different things like that. I think it 
it plays a bigger role in behind the scenes of programming. Those small nuances go a long way. And I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the neural typing that Christian Thibodeau does because that stuff is very much applicable to if you're training someone individually, you have to be you have to have that knowledge and know that not everyone is going to psychologically respond to the training the same way. I write a lot about how I hate linear periodization. But I have used linear periodization actually pretty extensively with one on one clients. And the reason is exactly what you said, there are some people that need longer amounts of time to get used to the same exercise, they don't like change, they're not type A. So that's something that if you're training one on one people, you have to dial in on their personality and get to know them as a person. Instead of just writing your big master plan, you know, 12 weeks of their program design, you, you have to know them first as a person. So I think there's a lot of value to that in a group setting, obviously, I don't have that. But what I do know, is that most people that are drawn to CrossFit are type A. So that's kind of what we we use as like our, you know, our, our, our self evident truth, like, we know that most people that do CrossFit are type A, of course, there's going to be some people that are not type A in there that probably want to do back squat for the next 12 weeks and be cool with it. But law of averages tells me that it's not the case. So I have to kind of play to the law of averages rather than the individual. I like that a lot, man. I think uh, I've in my own person, I don't, I do a lot of nutrition for CrossFitters. I don't mm -hmm. do a lot of program. I have a lot of CrossFitters that come into our, uh, we have a similar thing like a membership platform and it's kind of like the burnt out CrossFitter trying to figure out a better way to do things. And we implement sure. a lot of bodybuilding. So I tend to find like a good balance is like, you know, general warm up, so on and so forth. Compound lifts stay a little bit longer so we can actually build them up. Accessory mm -hmm. work changes more frequently. And I can kind of find that good balance of like, okay, I see that you're actually progressing and you are getting enough novelty to have fun. Yeah. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of those guys would probably benefit from doing more, you know, more accessory work, more of the same exercise rather than constantly just like throwing all this stuff out and doing something different all the time. Yeah. There's a good balance. And I, and I really like that you talked, you touched on real quick, just like doing it yourself. And I think there's not enough people that they, they focus too much, especially in the online world of like, what looks good on paper and, sure. and you have to try it yourself. You have to test it out on people. You have to see what it actually feels like over time to really know if it's going to, again, actually work, but then actually be fun and be something you can sustain. Well, I, you know what? I, I see stuff on paper all the time that people put out and I'm like, I usually think, wow, that coach has not done that because a lot of it's not feasible. Like you're like, <laughs> Hey, I can't even envision doing that much volume, you know, a hundred plus reps in a one given session. And it's like, it looks great because people have the mindset that more is more, but when they go to actually do it and they're sore for the next, you know, 96 hours, there's probably going to be an issue that's going to arise at some point in time. Yeah. I think uh, that that was my biggest problem with the latest volume research. And I love the guys who did the research because they're great mm -hmm. researchers, but it's like 40 or 45 sets per muscle group per week. And it's just like, oh, I understand crazy. volume is great for muscle growth, but have you ever trained somebody at yeah. that level? Like, <laughs> no, it's not going to yeah, happen. Exactly. Um, so I want to touch on a couple other main points. Uh, and one being varying intensities. So you kind of touched mm -hmm. on uh, essentially CrossFit kind of is just turn it on and just leave it on. Whereas sure. I think a smarter approach is you need that hard, high intensity and high effort, but you also need restorative sessions or just a drop 
in relative intensity to just keep your nervous system functioning and not get sure. adrenal fatigue. Um, how do you do this? How do you manage this? How do you like going about undulating that intensity? So what we do is, you know, some of it involves kind of tricking people because I can control the contribution of each system by the movements I program, the length of the workout, is there rest built in? You know, there are a lot of variables that I can play with, but really it takes the coach to understand the why behind those workouts. So we'll typically do, we'll do a lot more aerobic work than we will do anaerobic work just because people need the aerobic work more than they need the anaerobic work. And the anaerobic systems are very limited by genetics anyway. So that's a whole other story. So we will spend more of our time doing more breathing in terms of you know, conditioning that involves more cyclical components, rowing, jogging, you know, pulling a light sled, things of that nature that um, won't elicit a huge spike in heart rate. So if you throw in a typical CrossFit movement like a, a thruster or a burpee, heart rate's gonna go up real high. I mean, you're gonna be probably near maximal depending on how much volume per set. And that's gonna change the intent, it's gonna change the reliance on anaerobic versus aerobic systems in a given workout. So that's one way that we control it. We play with the exercises we use is because we know that, you know, a globally demanding movement is going to elicit a higher spike in heart rate than a locally demanding movement. So we can have, we can take all those variables and play with them. And then if we want true anaerobic work, there are ways that we can do that. Like, you know, we use sled push, a sled push sprint, uh, a 10 second sled push sprint, max effort, and then we'll rest about 90 seconds afterwards and we might do six or seven of those that's a way that we can really ensure that people are getting a purely anaerobic based workout and they're not going to be limited by their lack of movement patterns if it's if i change that workout to have a high skill component to it like maybe it's got a full clean and we're using that to train an anaerobic system not going to play out the same across all of our clients so if i if i use something that's more low skill i basically am guaranteeing Things are going to go the way I want them to go. And because I've guaranteed that, there's the balance in the programming. I know that we've done our two anaerobic sessions. They were 72 hours apart. I know that we did a cardiac output session because, hey, running, rowing, and jogging for, or running, rowing, uh, biking for 30 minutes, it's going to be hard for that to be very anaerobically driven. It's, it's going to, by nature, it's going to be more aerobic system. So I can play with those, those variables and I can, allow us to almost build in that recovery where we need it. People will probably laugh when I say this, but I love how you said trick them because mm -hmm. I've literally said that multiple times on the podcast. And I think for most people that don't understand true intensity, so them going on a jog and staying in that zone, they might be sweating and huffing and puffing mm -hmm. into them that that's intensity. They went hard and it was good. And, and I think that can like ease their mind to where sometimes it's just so anaerobically driven constantly sure. that it just runs them down and we can avoid that this way. Yeah. And it's, it, like I said, it really takes the ability of the coach that's delivering that programming to say, Hey guys, we're doing cardiac output. It should be conversational. The goal of this is to improve your aerobic system, to improve your ability to breathe, to pace, which is then going to improve your ability to recover It'll improve your lifespan, and it's going to allow you to feel good for the real training. This isn't the real training. This is the, the in-between training. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just the way you phrase it 
gives people that meaning and they say, okay, like I get it. I want to do it. Um, but if you don't phrase it right, if you just say like, Hey, I know it doesn't look great on paper and you guys probably don't want to do it, but this is going to help us live longer. People are like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're probably not going to show up if that's the, that's the, the approach you take. So the coach has to understand the value of that work. And that's probably the biggest challenge for, for what I do is the education piece, because if the coach isn't bought into what I am giving them, they are not going to deliver it in a positive light. Then their clients are going to hate it. And then that gym will likely probably not be a client for long. They'll probably say our coaches and clients don't like the programming. And, you know, that goes how it goes if you can't build value in what you're doing. Yeah. And I think like the big key there is like programming is one thing from a science and a theory perspective, but the art of coaching and delivery behind that mm -hmm. programming is a completely different area that I don't think enough people study. So really, really big key there. Um, yeah, the, the, the last thing that comes to mind that I really want to touch on is you said this at the very beginning, you talked about like really posterior dominant. And I get that mm -hmm. comment from people that do my programs all the time. It's like, I feel like I'm doing so much back. And it's like, yeah. you feel fucking great. <laughs> it's like, exactly. So I want to touch on um, unilateral training, posterior chain training, and then mm -hmm. band work. Cause those are three things that I would say I don't see enough of in CrossFit that yep. whenever anybody asks me like, what should I add into my CrossFit? Those are my first three things that I throw at it. Yeah, those, those are it. I mean, um, we we do single joint work on a regular basis. So we we would, we, we really prioritize the six foundational movement patterns. And, and I'm, I'm, I know you've heard John Rustin talk about this, but push, pull, squat, hinge, lunge, carry. I mean, those are the things that we prioritize. So we're doing a lot of horizontal rowing. We're doing a lot of direct glute work, glute bridges, glute hip thrusts. Um, you know, we do do a lot of uh, banded pull throughs. We do things that that CrossFit gyms can do. I mean, they don't have a cable machine, which is perfectly fine. There's still a lot of things we have at our disposal. Um, and then we do a ton of upper back work. I mean, hundreds of reps of banded pull-aparts every week. And you're right. People say, people are like, oh, banded pull-aparts again? Like, yeah, banded pull-aparts again. How do your shoulders feel? How do your shoulders, you know, how does your upper back look? Oh, your strict pull-ups are better too. And then they say, wow, even my kipping pull-ups are better. Like, well, yeah, you're stronger. So naturally, those movements are going to get better. You're going to have more strength endurance and you're going to look better. The, I mean, those to me are like, those are a no brainer. Like you're going to perform better and look better. You know, like that's the Holy grail. It's like what we're all looking for. So um, when we prioritize that stuff, great things happen. And then when we do do that higher skill work, if we throw in an overhead squat, people are stronger. We've done, spent so much time on the triceps that, you know, isometrically, they're able to hold that position and it's more stable. Um, and, and they're just functioning a lot better. We've really maximized their trainability just by, by putting stuff in that is biggest return on investment. And for us, those are the things, really prioritizing the posterior chain and, and improving people's postures, getting them into more external rotation, abduction, whereas everyone is like sitting in flexion, they're on their iPhone, they're on social media, and it's like, you know, we're just exacerbating a, a posture that is causing us a lot of problems that, you know, I don't think we had like 10 years ago, we didn't have as many of these issues. I mean, I know for me personally, I mean, I didn't have Facebook social media as I was growing up. So we were, you know, doing things being more active. And, and I think that that's really taken a toll on a lot of people in terms of their trainability, where we need to spend that hour that we have with people, pulling them out of those postures and then getting them into better positions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, when I 
going back to that same teacher that told me the that muscles were stupid, uh, Tim Vagan, he, I, I don't remember what class, I think the class was called functional movement, but it, it was, I mean, this is seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. He always just used to say like, everything is fluff after push, pull, hip, knee, carry. Like that was his whole thing. It's yeah. like, what, what should my program include? Push, pull, hip, knee, carry. So same thing, right? Push, pull, hip, hinge, knee dominant, yeah. which is essentially unilateral and then mm-hmm. carry. Um, and that's always stuck with me. So like I'll audit people's programs and I'm like, you're missing movement patterns that are fundamental. They got to come before the isolation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, that's something that, that, you know, we released that article, uh, the other day and we had that, that movement hierarchy for upper body work. It was basically vertical pressing so hierarchy and, and, you know, just having vertical pressing, a lot of people are not set up to vertical pressing. They haven't really, they haven't really earned those movements yet so we take them a step back we you know landmine pressing we do that quite a bit now um and even if gyms don't have landmines we we, we show them how they can set it up without one uh, but that's a movement that we can really encompass a lot more people put them in better position teach them how to stabilize their anterior core they're getting a lot more out of that movement anyways even from a strength and hypertrophy standpoint so so these are the things that while they're not normal in crossfit why are we not utilizing them? It's like having a toolbox that only has a wrench, a hammer, and a, and a tape measure. I want a socket set. I want multiple types of pliers. I want multiple types of hammers. I want to have all the tools at my disposal, and I want to fucking use them to my benefit and get my clients better. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not rocket science. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the last thing would be the unilateral. If you can just elaborate on a little bit on how you plug that in and why mm-hmm. that's so important. Like, why choose unilateral over bilateral movement patterns? Well, listen, I mean, bilateral is what it is. We're working two limbs. So if we only focus on working two limbs at a time, we're going to exacerbate limitations and imbalances that everyone has, regardless, the highest level crossfitter has imbalance. So how do we fix that? Well, we need to find out where those imbalances are, and then we need to train them unilaterally so we can work on getting rid of those compensation patterns. Um, so we use a variety of lunges, split squats, and we use really kind of the same movement hierarchy pattern where, you know, split squat is like number one on the list. And then we progress people from there to, to a reverse lunge. You know, we go up high, higher to a rear foot elevated split squat and we keep going up, you know, it might be a walking lunge or, or a forward reverse lunge combo, which is absolutely brutal. Um, so we use a variety of those movements. We use dumbbells for overhead work as much as we use the barbell. So I like to use dumbbells and put people in a neutral grip where they can do a dumbbell push press, a little more shoulder friendly, not as much, you know, not as much spinal flexion or spinal, you know, people can't get thoracic uh, upward rotation. Um, So it allows people to get into better position just by using the movement that moves freely. And you mentioned it earlier, you said, you know, we can use a dumbbell snatch. Um, And, you know, dumbbell snatch is a great variation where it moves more freely. You're not using a fixed barbell. So we have a lot of people that can do dumbbell presses perfectly uh, with a neutral grip. And then we get them with a barbell and this all thing, you know, things go out the window where, you know, there's just very, really bad compensation patterns that kind of manifest themselves with those as soon as you put a barbell in their hands. So having a nice balance between our bilateral and our unilateral work with you know, whether it be a, a lunge variation, a press variation, we do obviously a lot of dumbbell floor presses, things of that nature is really important, especially for people 
that have lower training ages, that haven't done a whole lot in their lives, they need to start learning how to move before we give them these complex motor patterns and expect them to come out on the other end, you know, victorious. I love it, dude. I think it's, it's so cool for me to listen to you talk about this because I really do feel I came from a, a background of like loving bodybuilding and competing on stage and then kind of taking it that way. So yeah. like kind of the same background, but you merge into CrossFit, I merge into more of the bodybuilding scene. I have a lot of mm-hmm. competitors and people like that that I'm trying to teach this stuff to. Uh, so it's really, really cool to see those the, like this same influence influence these other areas of the of the fitness space. Well, I, I think, you know, that's one thing that I've tried to inject into the CrossFit programming is more just straight bodybuilding work. I mean, we do, we get people that really love it too. They've done, just done CrossFit and just done, you know, uh, multi-joint movements and they haven't done any direct arm work. People are like, man, I'm getting a pump. Like this feels great, you know? And um, so we've, we've done a lot to, again, trick people. I'll put straight up body, like you'd look at it and be like, wow, it's a straight up bodybuilding session for the arms but I'll put it into a setting that is like for time or it's an AMRAP, but it's, they're very low skill movements. So I'm okay with people pushing those as hard as they can and getting a good pump. And that usually the goal for the day is to get a good pump. Um, so a lot of people have bought into that and they've seen how that carries over. So I think, you know, I'm a believer in all forms of training. I think there's a benefit from the endurance side of things, bodybuilders, power lifters, Olympic lifters, gymnasts. I mean, you can really integrate all of those things. And that's kind of what our programming is. I love it, man. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I could probably talk about this for days. So we might have to have you back <laughs> on man, and knock out some specific topics. Um, before you go, uh, shout out your Instagram, tell us where we can find you. And if you have anything available for CrossFit gym owners, because that is something that I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you do sure. program for other CrossFit gyms. And we have a lot of CrossFit gym owners listening to this podcast. So I'd love for you to shout that out, man, because I think it's a great resource for people to use for their gyms. Yeah, we, we work with a couple hundred gyms right now worldwide. And uh, we have a great community of people. We, we really pride ourselves on the education piece because, if you, like I said, if you don't understand the why, then it's time to reevaluate and go back to the drawing board. So we, we really try to work on providing that why to our clients. Um, you can find us boxprogramming.com, box programming under box underscore programming on social media on Instagram. And um, we've got, you know, a subscription service for affiliate programming. We've got an individual conjugate strength and conditioning programming, which would has almost everything we talked about in this podcast in that program. And then we got some other individual uh, services for gyms. We also have a program design certification which is pretty in-depth. It's a five-week course. Everything from strength systems, exercise physiology, energy systems, recovery methods, program design, to all the methods, uh, literally everything you could want in terms of designing effective programs is in that course. So I actually just put that out this past year and uh, I'm very proud of it. I, I, I love how it came out and I think it's a great tool for coaches. I love it, dude. I'm gonna link all those in the show notes, man. I just seriously wanna thank you for your time. This has been great. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you having me. Like I said, I've been, you know, following you for a while and uh, I always appreciate your honesty and your ability to just, you know, put it all out there. So, so thanks for doing everything you do. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. 
please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.